Welcome to TSF Life, a podcast ministry of the Shepherd's Fellowship Church in Marion, Ohio. TSF Life is designed to bring you biblical teaching in a relational way that's easy to apply to your life. Let's join Pastor Tom Hypes as we dive into today's teaching. Well, hey, listen, today we're going to go back to our series. We've been on a break from our series for about five weeks now with different uh, Holy Spirit interruptions, which are awesome. But it's also good to get back to our series where we're looking at the life of Christ, uh, beginning to end. We've been in this now for seven, eight months, I guess, and uh, we're getting back into it. And where we find ourselves as we step back into that study is in the Sermon of the Mount. So if you want to go ahead and get your Bibles out, you can go to Matthew chapter 5. And we're in the section of the Sermon of the Mount where Jesus is talking about the fulfillment of the law, and he has talked about a couple of examples of what that looks like, where the law is not changed, but and it's not deleted, but it is fulfilled through Christ. And what that, those lessons where the law was trying to teach us, what the heart behind those are, and how they lead us to freedom today. And we have gone through two, since it's been a few weeks, just kind of make sure we're all on the same page, uh, two examples so far, and I think in a, a lot of ways, um, they build on top of each other. The, uh, we started out with anger, and why do we get angry? Most of the time it's because we're not getting what we want, or we, things aren't going the way we think that they should go. Uh, it's, a, it's a self-focused for the most part. Now again, there's a righteous anger, but unrighteous anger usually has to do with me or with you. From there, he started talking about into adultery. And I think there's a little bit of a natural flow there because when we still find ourselves tempted into adultery or tempted into going outside the bonds of uh, God's righteousness, it's because the relationship's not the way I want it to be. I'm stressed out. I deserve something for myself. There's a lot of different things that lead us to adultery, but most of those usually come from me of me focus. And so we can see how those things build into each other. Today, we're going to go from adultery into divorce. We're going to be talking about some singleness issues. We're going to talk about marriage issues. We're going to talk about divorce issues as Christ leads us in through the Sermon of the Mount. And um, I want to do this in a way that we make sure that we bring 100% love and 100% truth. This is a very volatile topic, uh, not just because of the emotional ramifications of it, Many of us have been through a divorce. Many of us might be in marriages that are on the verge. Many of us have been affected because our parents got a divorce, our kids got a divorce, or whatever the case may be, there's a lot of emotion to it. But again, 100% love, 100% truth. The other aspect that comes in with divorce is there's so many different variations within this topic that we'll never cover them all today. We just won't. I remember when my first wife left an affair, we've talked about that many times, about 25 years ago now, uh, the many well-meaning people came up to me and said, I know exactly what you're going through, I went through it myself. And if you've ever been through a situation like that, there's so many empathy points that also, not necessarily I'm on the same road that you've been on, so people will be sharing me with their story and you're sitting there like, you don't know what I'm going through. That's completely different than what I'm going through. There's so many variables. There's so many things that feed into it that what we find, and, and I, I, I was reminded of this just a couple of weeks ago, when we talk about an issue like this, whatever point I bring up, most of us filter it through our own experience first. Does that make sense? So you're going to be like, that's not true. In my case, it was this and this. So it was we're talking generalities. That's generally when we have a monologue experience like this, it's going to be generalities. And we trust the Holy Spirit 
to take and tailor those things into each other's lives, that the Holy Spirit will speak to us. So the one thing I do want to also say as we're going through this, don't put up a wall too fast just because something I say might not apply to your circumstance. It might actually apply just from a different standpoint, but I'll hop, hop buttons go. I mean, it's, it's just a very vast, vast conversation we're having in a short amount of time here. So my goal is to get through some, get some scripture in there, get our foundation built, talk a little, like read a little, talk a little. Then I'll throw out some commentary points for you to consider. Again, Tom things, not necessarily God things, but I do think they're biblically based. So whatever's the scripture, make sure you take. And then I'm going to give you some resources to go deeper and, and the more personal aspects of things. But before we do any of that, because of the context of what we're talking about, we're going to do some extra prayer on it. So Ms. Angie, can I ask you your help? Will you come up and pray over the summit? She's like, oh, he never gives me warning on this stuff, and then I have to put my stuff down, and i got to go all the way to the front. That's okay. Some people still can't find Matthew 5. We're just buying up time. Love you. <laughs> I see how you are. Lord, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for what you're doing in this house. Thank you for being here in our midst and the way you're moving. I just ask you to be with my brother as he speaks your word this morning, God, that you would say everything you need for us to hear through him in your words. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, sis. Okay, so Matthew 5 it is. So I'm now at verse 31. We're going to use this particular section. It's going to be a little bit different because we're going to go with the Sermon Mount and use it as a launching pad. But here's what Jesus says in the middle of the Sermon on Mount. Again, start out at verse 31. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the grounds of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. So before we launch from this into some of the other teachings of the scripture and the whole context, I do want to make sure that we have the context of who Jesus is talking to and what he's talking about. Okay? So in this particular case here, he's talking to believers. Okay? He's talking to the Israelites. He's talking to people that are God's chosen people. And he's talking to them from the standpoint of the law. That there's this law, again, from 3,000 years ago, his time, not mine. Um, that allowed them to do these certificates of divorce, and he's saying, this is what you've heard, but the law's fulfilled, and this is what, ha what is supposed to be. So he's talking to believers, and I think that's important in this particular context to, to know. He's talking to those of us who have accepted Jesus as leader and forgiven our lives, acknowledging with our mouths he's the Son of God, believing in our hearts he died and rose again and are saved. But we also think it's important in this context to realize he's talking to men, He's talking to Christian men. There's nothing here for a Christian woman in this particular statement. He's talking to the men about what their rights have been on the law. And um, the woman I brought up, because quite frankly, at this time, it was a very chauvinistic community. Uh, one of the things that is, is awesome about Jesus is that he included women in his ministry. They, they, he he had, was, was very, uh, I hate to use the word progressive because I may assign what that might mean, but but he was very progressive in that way, that women were included in his ministry. But the culture he's talking to and the culture that he's in, women were considered property. Okay? Now, to go deeper into what he's saying here, I want to go back to Deuteronomy chapter 24. Do not have to keep your thumb here in Matthew 5. I'm going to go back to Matthew, but not this section. So it just depends on how much you want to cheat. I've got posting notes telling me where to go, so I'm already cheating. So feel free. But I'm going back to Deuteronomy chapter 24. 
This is the section of the law that Moses gave them that Jesus is referring to here. And since he only selectively in this particular case scenario at the Sermon on the Mount talked about uh, the men side of things, I wanted to read the whole section so that we can get a better feel for what Moses' thoughts were, where the community should have been, and where the community was by the time Jesus came, came into the picture uh, in human form. So start now, again, it's just about three books back in the, at the very beginning of the Bible. And it talks about the laws concerning divorce. Verse 1 says, When a man takes a wife and marries her, if then she finds no favor in his eyes, because he found some indecency in her, and writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house, and she departs his house, and if she goes and becomes another man's wife, and the latter man hates her, this stuff kind of is a long sentence, but you're with me still, right? And she goes and becomes another man's wife, and the latter man hates her, and writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of the house. Or if the latter man dies, who took her to be the wife, then the former husband who sent her away may not take her again to be his wife after she has been defiled. For that is an abomination before the Lord. And you shall not bring sin upon the land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance. Again, just a little sidebar. It's interesting that we always think sin is a personal thing. It doesn't affect more. But anyways, so here's basically what Moses said to them. As men, Jewish men, if you find any indecency whatsoever, anything, she just annoys you. She cannot shut up during the Super Bowl. Okay? You have the right to take a piece of paper, sit down at your table, write out a certificate of divorce, hand it to her, shove her out the door, and done. That, that's what Moses said was okay. And I know that sounds easy. Uh, thankfully, it's not the case today because we've already got a problem with divorce, uh, let alone if we would take this. But also consider if you were caught in adultery, you got stoned. So there were some things that were easy and some things that weren't. So anyways, you can send her out. I'm done. I'm done with you. A wife can write a certificate of divorce. She, she can take and write it as well, give it to the husband, and then it's up to the husband whether or not that's okay. So you may be released. You may not be released. He might decide to keep you around for three years because he's a jerk and wants to abuse you spiritually, physically, mentally, whatever the case may be. The wife has no option within that because the wife is property, according to this, this case scenario. Um, but he did want to make it bigger and make sure he understood the weight of it because once you did write the certificate, send her out, and were done, you were done. You were not allowed to have her back. So, so don't, don't do it glibly because she's gone. But that was the, the case scenario of what they lived under for those 3,000 years. So it's a kind of a high-level decision. Now, the problem is in those 3,000 years, we as people like to water down the Word of God and make it a little bit more um, easy, I guess would be the word, or shortcutty. Uh, and that's what we had quite a bit when it came to the Jewish people. But that was the starting point for those who were looking at it from Moses' standpoint. Matthew 19. Lose Deuteronomy. <coughs> Excuse me. Um. <laughs> okay, verse, let's see, chapter 19. We're going to start out in verse 7. This then <coughs> is Jesus at another date teaching on divorce. Yeah, so I'm in verse 7. They said to him, and that they are the Pharisees, the religious leaders who are challenging him. 
<coughs> excuse me. They said to him, Why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? He said to them, Because of your hardness of your heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for spiritual immorality and marries another commits adultery. So the religious leaders are having a problem with this fulfillment of the law. Thank you. I was just about to call out for that. Isn't she a good wife? <laughs> okay. I've done it seven times. She keeps coming back. I don't take her back. She's Okay, so here we are, we're talking about the law. They're asking about the Pharisees are challenging him. For 3,000 years, we've been able to do certificate of divorce. Why are you causing issues with this? Jesus does a very normal rabbi technique here. He says the foundation of your, po- your, 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 your argument is a problem. You're going back 3,000 years. I'm going to go back 4,000 years. That's not what it was in the beginning. You guys can go back to Moses, but I'm going to go back to God. And that's always a good way to understand your theology. And he says that was never God's plan. God's plan was deeper than that. That he, he wanted you to, to be one man, one woman together in marriage. And that, that once you became one, that you were together for life. That is his will. That's what leads us into the freedom that he calls us to if you are willed to be married. Which we'll talk about here in a little bit. So, he says you should not divorce your wife except for special immorality. The, the disciples say... If such is the case of a man with his wife, it's better not to marry. Maybe. I mean, this is, this is a very profound thought that they have. Like, if you're seriously saying we need to be with this person the rest of our lives and be committed to them, maybe it's best I don't get married. Right. This is a hard teaching. Not all of Jesus' teachings were like butterflies and, and flowers and I'll throw in bees for Amanda's sake. There's tough, tough things within it. We, we have a situation where Jesus had more than 5,000 people following him because the day before he gave them food. And they chased him down and said, we want more. And he says, well, this is what it looks like to follow me. And they all said, no. That's, this is a hard teaching. This is too much. And they all walked away from him. And I'm telling you, the most incredible part of that story to me is Jesus dying for each and every one of them, watching them walk away. We just had been heartbreaking. But you say, oh, come on, let, let's find some middle ground here. He's, this is what it looks like. This is what it is. If you're, you're going to get married, this is a, a big commitment. The disciple said, maybe it's best not get married. And he said, maybe. As a matter of fact, this is what he says in loving. But he said to them, not everyone can receive the saying, but only those to whom it's given. For there are eunuchs who have been so from birth. There are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men. And there are eunuchs who made themselves eunuchs for the sake of of the kingdom of heaven, let the one who's able to receive this, receive it. Now just to make sure we're all on the same page, eunuchs are men who can't have sex. There are some that were born with birth defects that they are never able to have sex. They're eunuchs because of a birth defect. Jesus is talking about that here. Then there are eunuchs who are made so by men. In other words, they were born fine, but somewhere along, along the line, someone more than likely made the decision to castrate them. A lot of times we see this in the Old Testament with kings and they had their harems and their wives and they didn't want servants being tempted in that and so they would be emasculated before and they, so that they wouldn't have that temptation. Sometimes people are made eunuchs by 
by other people's decisions. And he says, and then there's those who say, I'm stepping off of the whole intimacy thing with women or with men, and I'm going to have my intimacy with Christ. He goes, I know this is tough teaching. Not everybody can receive this. But we're not all made for marriage. We're not. That, 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 there's a, a difference here. There's a high bar here that Jesus is, is giving to us. Um, so that gives us quite a few things just to kind of start on the foundation. Now, as we dig into some of the different variables within all this, um, l- let me say again that I'm not coming as one who, I mean, I think most of you guys know me well. You know we're not going to be coming here with a bunch of judgment and trying to guilt you out for whatever your past is or whatever your coincidence is. Uh, I'm coming as one who's been devastated by divorce before. Um, when my first wife left, shut me down for a year. Um, I, my, my son has just recently gone through a divorce. It's been an extremely hard time for him. You know, I've been down in Florida mode with him uh, lately for that reason. Uh, th- this is an unbelievably uh, uh, sensitive topic, and I get that. So as we go through these things and we say the truth parts, Make sure you don't take and forget that I love you and that we love each other and we're in this together, okay, as a spirit lead. So with that, First Corinthians 17. The reason I want to go to First, oh, 17, sorry, First Corinthians 7. The reason I want to go to First Corinthians 7 is because Paul takes it from these generalized statements into individual situations. And this is where we're starting to try to get, get into now. Um, a matter of fact, when you get there, in verse 1, it's, uh, Paul says, Now concerning the matters about which you wrote, it's good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. Um, in other words, what Paul's saying is, you guys have been writing me questions. You've been writing me about your personal situations, and I'm going to take a stab at some generalized teaching off of your personalized questions. And so he picks up in verse 2. But because of the temptation to sexual immorality, even though it's best not to have sexual relations, because of the temptation from it, each man should have his own wife and each woman have her own husband. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights and likewise the wife to her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her body, but the husband does. Just make sure the mic works. Can you guys hear that in the sound booth? Honey? You got- Stop yeah. Take it back. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Okay, whatever. Do not deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time, that you may be devoted yourselves to prayer, but then come together so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Now, as a concession, not a command, make sure you listen to all these things that he says. He, he's given a concession, but he's not commanding. He says, I wish that all were like myself, but each one has their own gift from God, one from, uh, of one kind and one of another. In other words, he goes, I wish everybody was single. You didn't have that distra- distraction of marriage or sexual intimacy. You didn't have that. But that's my gift. There's a such thing as gift of singleness. Okay. Uh, in 8, he says, to the unmarried, if you've not been married yet, and to the widows, I say that it's good for them to remain single as I am. But if you cannot exercise self-control, they should marry, for it's better to marry than to burn with passion. Okay, so the first one we come to, again, he's talking about a Christian couple and a healthy Christian couple uh, relationship. And then he's also talking about 
singleness and, and being able to get to singleness. Now, he's going to talk about benefits of singleness. That is for those who are single now. There, there's nothing within the scripture that says, okay, I'm married. I like what he's saying about singleness, so it must be okay for me to get a divorce to get to single. That's, you're married. You're married. That, that, that's not for you. That's for people who are not married yet. So he has these things within it. But he does give a lot of concession. Because uh, Paul, I don't know, about him, it's, marriage is mostly about sex, it seems. Um, but obviously there's much more to it when we talk about the gift and the beauty of what God has created for us. Um, for instance, I did not marry Jenny just because I couldn't keep my hands off of her. Yeah. <laughs> I married Jenny because she couldn't keep her hands off me. <laughs> that was actually our song for our wedding. Okay. So, he starts out with some of these issues, and then verse 10, he continues, To the married I give this charge, not I, but the Lord. Make sure you catch these. He's not giving you a personal opinion. And not I, but the Lord. The wife should not separate from her husband, but if she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And the husband should not divorce his wife. To the rest I say, not the Lord, but I, Paul, say, that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever, and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. If any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever, and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife, and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy." But if, they are an if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. God has called you to peace. For how do you know, wife, whether or not you'll save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether or not you'll save your wife? Now, this is a lot. Just to be honest, this, this could have been the whole sermon. And I would have had to done some more study to do, do proper to it um, in some of these areas. But let me use the launching pad to say this. Um, marriage is best, marriage is godly, marriage is righteous, when we have the same goal, husband and wife, okay? So if you, you decide to get married, we have the same goal, and it's God. If Jenny is, is growing closer to God, and that's her main goal, and I'm growing closer to God, what happens to the two of us as we do so? We grow closer together. That's, that's the design of it. If Jenny is going for God, and Tom is going for a great retirement plan, that doesn't sound like much of a dif difference, per se, but trust me, it's going to bring all kinds of conflict on how we steward our finances. What decisions we make for our family is going to come in place. If a man is chasing after God, unfortunately, it's usually the woman and, and not the men. We as men really need to, to step up. But, but if I'm going for God and she's going for, uh, I don't know, like the, the perfect, what, career, and she wants to be high-ranking. There's going to be decisions, there's going to be problems that separate us because our goals are separately. The way we define things are separately. Our visions are separate. So in this case, the marriage is designed for us to be going for the same goal. The challenge is, oftentimes, we do not marry evenly yoked. I mean, the scripture puts it right in there to say, hey man, if you want a good future, this, be with people that are evenly yoked with you. And we don't. And that's not just, I'm a Christian and they're not. It's, I'm a Christian going out to the Lord, and yeah, I said a prayer once. 
a watered-down Christianity. We're supposed to be evenly yoked, chasing after God together. That's the, the plan. So we can't be surprised that these other things are in place. But what Paul's advice is within this situation is if you are going for the Lord and your partner is not, which is an unbelievably hard place to be. Unbelievable. To be a spiritual single person in a marriage is very, very hard. Okay? So but if that situation you're in, then Paul's saying, lead that person to the Lord. Do what you can to lead that person to the Lord. Now, this is for married people. Do not date someone who's not a Christian or is not on board with their Christianity and say, well, through us dating, I'm going to lead them to the Lord. It doesn't work at all. There might be an exception here. There might be an exception there. But 99% of the time, we are more easily dragged down than we pull people up. So don't do it when you're dating. Be their friend. Hang out. Lead them to Jesus. Then take and say, let's go do a movie. That's fine. But I'll tell you, if you don't want an unevenly yoked marriage, which is unbelievably hard, you can't fall in love with somebody if you're not taking, putting yourself in the market to fall in love with them. Once that love part comes in, it gets much more tricky. But if you're married, that commitment's already made. Let's see what we can do with this. I, I, I grew up with this, and, and I, I see the, the fruits of my mother's patience and perseverance in reaching out because my father is a wonderful man of God now, wonderful man of God, and I love talking to him about the Lord, but it's a hard place to go for a very long period of time. Um, so with that, let's continue into some of these pointers. Um, I want to make sure, yeah, okay, we're, we're good, I'll know all these things. I, I, I jotted down some thoughts, and again, remember the 100% love standpoint that may or may not uh, ring true for you, and that's for singles and dating and married and divorced folks, um, and we'll just see what the Spirit does with it, and then we'll talk about additional resources. So for what they're worth, this is my commentary now. If it's, if it's biblically based, grab the Bible part of it, but here's the first one with the help of Chris. If you're not married... Consider not getting married. Like I said, this is hard teaching, but this is what the scripture tells us. If you're not married yet, consider not getting married. Um, anyone, how, how many people have been married more than two years? Okay. Now, <laughs> a lot of you guys put your hand down really fast. Uh, how many people have been married more than two years and you think it's cake? It's easy. Yeah. Jeremiah, Jeremiah, you raised your hand, but your wife didn't, Jeremiah. <laughs> it, it is work. It is hard. It, it's tougher than being single. If God put on my heart tomorrow that I'm, I'll, I'll use the old one that I used to use all the time. God put on my heart tonight that I need to move to Guam and do ministry work of pygmies. It's one thing if I'm single. It's another if I'm married with kids. There's discussions to be had. There's prayers to be had. There's plans to figure out on how that's going to work. It's easier to do the ministry that God has called us to when you're single. It's just a fact. It's just a fact. And the reality is you and I are called to the Great Commission, leading people to the Lord, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, and teaching each other and being in communion with each other to encourage each other to do everything He's commanded of us so that we have the freedom that He died for and the forgiveness He died for, right? That's what we're here. Our commission is not the American dream. Never was, never is. And there's no reason for us to think, I gotta get married or I'm weird. I know a lot of people are weird and they're married, not a problem at all. 
It's not what we're called to. We're called to the Great Commission. So that's something to consider. Number two. Oh, wait, you know what? Let's go back to number one. I'll give you this story. Uh, because I, I talk about a lot with youth, and I want to make sure we get it, continue to get it out there. Um, before my first marriage, I was engaged uh, once before then. Uh, actually, a couple times, but let's not talk about that. Um, because when I was like 20, I was dating a young lady by the name of Sherry, and she was about 19. We dated for a year and a half. And I felt like I loved her, and she felt like she loved me. And when you're at that age, and you've been together for a little while, what do you do? You get married. That's just what you do. That's what, that's what the American dream tells us. And we did get engaged, and we were together for several months of the engagement. And then something came to me. Thank God it was before the, the wedding. Um, but something came to me that I love her, but I don't want to spend most of my life with her. I just, we, we butt heads all the time. We have personalities that conflict. This is not... I said we had broken up two or three times during our, our dating times and gotten back together uh, and ended up breaking off the engagement. And I tell kids all the time, don't get married because you love somebody. Don't. Because you keep looking at love as an emotion and love is a commitment. It's, it's so much more than the emotions. Emotions lie to you in a heartbeat. That's why you, when you're 40, you'll be going, I just don't love them anymore. No, you're not committed anymore. Love is a commitment, not an emotion. So anyways, stay with that. Consider not getting married. Second one, this is just as much fun for you single people. If you're thinking about marriage, reconsider. <laughs> Trey's over there like, dude, shut up. <laughs> I finally got this girl to marry me this year. But you should. Everybody should. If you're, if you're, if you're engaged, you should rethink it because to make sure that you're doing it for the right reasons that God's calling you to it, that you have a biblical foundation built up for it, that you're ready for it. Um, I, I see oftentimes in premarital counseling where things are just not, not there. It's not good. We get so excited about the wedding and the, the planning and the money and the celebration, and so many people do not get ready for the marriage in any way, shape, or form. That's why I, I, I don't officiate weddings without premarriage counseling. You've got to go through those issues before they become issues before the emotion is involved, to have that foundation. I highly, highly encourage it. I was pre doing counseling with a, a couple once uh, that just, oh my gosh, it was a battlefield. And I said to him, look, I'll tell you what, I'm going to walk out of the room, and you guys need to decide if you really want this or not. Because if you want it, it's going to take some serious work. And I walked out and hung out for about 20 minutes before he came out slamming doors and going out in the parking lot, didn't want to be around anybody, everything else. Now, we did end up getting them counseling, and counseling helped. And we did get a point. They postponed their wedding until they got married. It lasted seven years, and they're divorced now. Uh, there was another uh, premarital counseling situation I was in um, where neither one of the uh, couple were saved. And we got to the part where we're talking about faith and faith issues, and we're talking about the gospel. And the young lady decided she wanted to accept Jesus as leader and forgive her life right there. I said, that's great. I said, so where are you at? He said, I'm not there yet. I said, okay, I appreciate your honesty. And so I, we, all three of us prayed with her, and she accepted Jesus as leader and forgiven her life. And when we got done, we talked about the celebration in heaven. We talked about the celebration right there in the room. And then I said, I have to advise you not to marry this man because you are now unevenly yoked. You don't have the same goal. You're not moving in the same direction. And you, you have your free will decisions. But my advice is that you do not marry him. And they got married. It lasted three years. And then they fell apart 
because he had hidden sin in his life that he wasn't telling her about. So these things really, I'll tell you, the wedding is great, but going through a divorce is life-breaking. Life-breaking. Okay, so let's decide that Mary still wants to marry Trey. So number three. If your marriage is good, work harder at it. If your marriage is good, work harder at it. Love her more. Respect him more. Find more time together. Make bold moves of calling off work just so that you can be, be together. Uh, I don't know. I'm not sure why they're fighting right now, but Amanda, what do you want JT to do to, to be better? Clean better? Clean better? <laughs> Somebody got a pen because I just found another bullet point we need to add. <laughs> Anybody? <laughs> yeah, nobody was seeing this from the side, were they? <laughs> but if your marriage is good, work harder at it. If you think it's good, just, just look for ways to, to, to work harder. It's be texting that you love each other. Flowers. Jenny doesn't like flowers, so that saves me some money. But there's other things that we can do. Okay? More time together. Number four. If your marriage is struggling, do whatever it takes to fix it, period. If it's struggling, do whatever it takes to fix it. You're in a covenant relationship. You have made vows before your God to one another. Um, it, this is tough. And here, here's the reason why I believe that this section of the, the Sermon on the Mount is harder than anger and why it's harder than lust. Uh, in anger and lust, it's all about you. You make the choice. When you're in a marriage, you only have a certain amount of control because two people are in it. That makes it so much more difficult. So much more difficult. Let me just say this. From everything that I've seen, God holds you accountable for what's in your control, but he does not hold you accountable for what's not in your control. Does that make sense? So focus on what's in your control and then do it. We talk oftentimes about, man, it just sounds so easy, but I would, it really is easy until we get ourselves in the middle of it. Uh, in my 40s, I don't, not so much now, maybe it's just a seasonal thing, but in my 40s, I had friend after friend, uh, usually guys, taking, and say to me, man, I'm struggling hard, I'm just uh, I'm thinking about having an affair. What do you think? Don't. <laughs> don't, just don't do it. Just drop that person out of your life, get away from it. What, what do you think I'm going to say to you, dude? I love you in the Lord. I'm not going to. Just don't. It really is that simple until all emotions get involved in it. So don't entertain it. Don't play around with it. Just, just don't. If your marriage is struggling, do whatever it takes. Drop that person out of your life. Don't take and watch that show. Don't take and stay in that job. Change jobs if you have to. Do whatever it takes to help your marriage that is struggling. We, we need to rise up. We need to lead. We need to do something about it. Because God's a God of resurrection. So it might be hard. But you said, I do. And so we work it. We all want flesh. And you can do it through Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen? Five. If your spouse has been sexually immoral, allow yourself to hurt. And that one, I really don't even like typing up there because it's almost like one of those Peter Dumb moments. Of course you're going to hurt. Of course, you don't need my permission to allow yourself to hurt. But don't feel bad about hurting about it. I mean, just, it's a horrible offense. Now, if you have ever cheated on your spouse or cheated in a relationship, I understand the temptation. I understand how the mind works in those things. I understand that we make mistakes. So don't think I'm now going to trash you for the rest of your life or judge you because you made a mistake in your past. But for the person who's been cheated upon, it's a horrible offense. Horrible offense. So the questions now become, can you forgive them? 
Can you work through it together? Jesus can reconcile it, but is it a one-time mistake? Is it a repeat offense that is part of their life? Oh, I'm sorry, I'll never do it again at the fourth time or the fifth time. I mean, use some wisdom in this. Use some spiritual discernment in this. Because if you can't, red letters say, because of adultery, that you can live in peace. That you can leave that marriage and live in peace. I mean, that's red letters. It's okay. But it does not say if they commit adultery, you have to divorce them. So whatever that path is, we, we can, we're here for you. We're ready to walk through that with you. Number six, if your spouse is abusing, yeah, did I get the right? Yeah. If your spouse is abusing you or your kids, get out. Get out. There's not even a period. There's an exclamation point on that one for a reason. If you need help with an escape plan, we'll help you. We've done it before. If you need a safety plan, we'll help, we've done it before. We'll do it again in a heartbeat. Heartbeat. Now, there's a difference between divorce and separation. I'm not trying to say one or the other. There are deeper questions if there's abuse. Is divorce allowed? I'm not getting into that per se right now, but we will get into that with the deeper resources as well, some of the different views from a biblical standpoint on that. But what I'm saying is if you're getting hurt, don't let your kids be taught that it's okay. Don't teach yourself that it's okay to be abused. And I'm not just talking physical. I'm talking spiritual, emotional, mental. Get out, and we'll help you in any way you need today, whatever you need. Number seven. If your spouse is unsaved, stick in if they're willing. If not, live in peace. That's just straight out Paul. Straight out Paul. If you've been left by an unbelieving spouse, uh, there's questions that come up that will be part of our deeper resources. When can a Christian be treated as a non-Christian? Just because they said a little prayer one time and they call themselves Christian because grandma and grandpa were Christians and they went to church for VBS when they were kids, does that mean that they are at, the, at what the scripture is talking about on Christian or whether or not they're actually following the Lord? Those are going to be part of the deeper resources as well. So um, number eight, if your spouse left you and it devastated you, remember you don't have 100% control, control of the situation. If your spouse left you, you don't have control over that. You might have control on some things in the marriage. You can have control on things. But they just get up and leave, and you've done everything you can. I was so messed up in my first divorce that when she left, I offered her that if she would go to marriage counseling with me, she could keep her boyfriend on the side. That's how messed up you get sometimes, okay, with the hurt and the pain that you, you have there. But you do not have 100% control on the situation. So do what you can. Pray. Be in Christian community. Have brothers and sisters around you and live in peace. You do not have control over that. Number nine, if you're considering a divorce today, ask yourself if you've done everything, and if not, then you have still at least one more thing to do. Does that make sense? If you haven't done everything, you've got at least one more thing still to do. If you're thinking about marriage, I'll give you this hint. If someone would not go to pre-marriage counseling with you, they would not go to marriage counseling with you when it gets hard. I've seen it time and time again. Let that be a, a, a red flag, if you would. If there's still something to be done, if you're sitting there and let's say your wife is saying, we need to go to marriage counseling, and you're like, we'll fix it ourselves. Go to marriage counseling. Why? Maybe you don't need it, but you can tell your wife that you love her enough to go. Whatever it takes. Again, drop a relationship, change jobs, whatever you got to do. Whatever you've got to do. Uh, number 10, if you're divorced, ask yourself if it was righteous. Was sexual immorality involved here? Was, uh, 
um, when we go into our deeper resources, um, is there other exceptions within the road that you see truly and honestly that uh, had to be, be covered? If, uh, if it wasn't righteous, is reconciliation possible? Is it, or can you work on the relationship to get the marriage back? Um, if not, then we'll go to number 11. Is forgiveness needed with God? Is forgiveness needed with God? Um, the, okay, so if unrighteous divorce is a sin, then a lot of people say, one, one of the biggest complaints we have against the church is that we say everything else is a sin and then divorce, everybody's divorced and we pretend like there's no problem. Uh, there's a major problem when it comes to our hardness of heart. But, um, so let's do it this way. So if divorce is a sin, right, then lying is a sin. We're still together, right? And most of us probably have an issue of lying quite a bit. Um, and what we tend to do, because we're humans, is saying, well, divorce is a sin and lying is a sin, so they're both the same. Instead of going divorce is a sin, lying is a sin, so I need to treat my lying a lot more serious. Right? All sin is serious. It absolutely is. It is something that we should take serious. It's the reason why Christ took the cross. It's because of your lies and your divorce and your lust. Right? So, so we consider it serious. But divorce is not the unpardonable sin. It's not. Blaspheming the Holy Spirit is the, unpa- the unforgivable sin or the unpunished, whatever you want to call it. So you can have forgiveness. Now it's not oh, well, that's fine. I'll just ask for, say a little prayer and I'll be fine. No, we're taking the sin up here. It's a big deal. It's a serious deal. And all of our sin is together as we come before the Lord. So make sure you go to the Lord. Make sure that if it's unrighteous, take it to him. And then live in peace. Find that righteousness. Let his blood cover it. And let him move you forward in the ways that he calls you to do so. Maybe just hard. Maybe skip it. If not, completely be in it. I've put something out, uh, thank you, Chris, that um, not too long ago about, about divorce. And I remember some of the responses I had uh, were, were emotional because of people's personal experiences. Abuse, um, uh, addiction, um, multiple challenges. And since we're not doing them all today, let me, let me give you this, this link, Chris, if you put that up for me. I went through this particular link with a friend of mine when she uh, was in the middle of a separation going for a divorce. And um, if you, you write that down, it's just, I just made a very long uh, web address, very short, tinyurl.com backslash TSF divorce. This is a gentleman by the name of, and we'll leave this up for a while, Chris. This is um, a gentleman named Mike Ringer. I don't agree 100% with everything that he says, but I do agree that he digs deep into the scripture. Uh, and he looks for truth and love and what he has to say. So there's good things here to consider. Uh, this particular podcast, uh, or this particular one on divorce, also goes deeper. If you want to go deeper, you can watch this and then continue into the site. He let people take and write in for the next two weeks, questions, concerns, disagreements, whatever the case be, and then did another one on, on those and just continue the conversation, which I enjoy. But it's a, it's a little over three hours. Uh, it goes very in-depth, and you might be thinking, man, I watched that video for three hours. I thought you talked a long time. Um, <laughs> it's, uh, it's your marriage, and I don't think three hours is all that tough. 
for your marriage. And the, some of the things that he discusses, he talks more about the Jewish backdrop on divorce at the time of Jesus. He talks about uh, when remarriage is, is good and when it's not. Uh, again, when a Christian spouse, Christian spouse is to be treated as an unbeliever. Uh, abuse situations, alcohol situations, gambling situations, drug usage. Uh, if a marriage was entered into sinfully, what does that mean when it comes to divorce? And if God hates divorce, does that mean we can't get, get a divorce? Uh, it goes, it's a really good resource. It's broken into chapters, so if you can't do three hours, you can always come back into it, and those chapters are labeled. So if you have a specific question, maybe you're dealing with uh, abuse at home, you can go right to that question and get that information as well. So I want to give that, if, that so you can go deeper, but I also want to give you this. I'm here. We're here for each other. I've got ton of time opened up over the next two weeks because of something like this can take and bring up questions so that I can spend time, time with you if you want. That, that's important to me. Um, we would love to talk and partner with you more, get you resources more, help you get out if you need to get out. So we very much want to do that because we love you. And the thing is, God loves you more than I ever can. And if you're worried about going and talking to him about mistakes, singleness, dating, marriage, divorce, then the most loving person in the universe that understands better than anybody else is being skipped. And he's right here for you. We're here for you. There's other resources here for you. But if you're struggling or you're being hurt, there's options. We just want to make sure it's in truth and love. Does that make sense? If you were blessed by today's teaching, we hope you return for our next podcast. Or better yet, stop by the Shepherd's Fellowship any Sunday morning to join us live. You can learn more about the church by calling 740-382-3500 or check us out online by going to tsflife.com. That's tsflife.com. You can also support the ministry of TSF Life by donating at our church website or sending support to the Shepherd's Fellowship 1647 Marion Marysville Road, Marion, Ohio, 43302. Thank you for spending your time with us today, and we look forward to seeing you soon. Be blessed.